Welcome to the Crossings Church Podcast, where we strive to love God and love people. And now, here's this week's message. So we're talking about Rahab today. How many know who Rahab is? She was a lady that helped out her spies, and the Bible says she's a prostitute over and over and over and over again. In fact, every time you see her in a story, it declares she's a prostitute, then tells the story. There's only one place in the Bible this doesn't happen, and that's when she's in the genealogy of Jesus. She actually becomes uh, one of Jesus' great-great-great-grandmothers, uh, or becomes Jesus' great-great-grandmother, and... Um, in that genealogy, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, it doesn't refer to as a prostitute, but as a mom, and, which is kind of cool. But everywhere else, it gives her a title, and I think there's a reason behind this. We'll get into it. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and, and go through Joshua chapter 2 today. So if you have a Bible, go there, and um, we'll dig in. Going to do a little bit of reading. So it says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, Go over, uh, go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. It's kind of interesting that they uh, go to Rahab's house. There's probably other places you could go, but they go to Rahab's house. And um, we're going to see in the story that uh, everybody knows that these Israelites came and we're in Rahab's house because the king of Jericho finds us out. So he sends people to go talk to Rahab. And they're like, hey, there are spies sent from Israel to spy us out. Where are they? She's like, oh, they're gone. Totally lies. They're gone. They took off. He sends people looking for them. And uh, she hides them. She hides them up, up under, the Bible says, some flax on the rooftop. So in verse 9, she says something interesting. She's speaking now to the spies. She says, um, I know the Lord has given you this land that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you, and when he came out of Egypt, and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the kindness, by the Lord, that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Verse 14, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, 
for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear, uh, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father, mother and brothers and all your family into the house, if any of them go outside of the house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. This will not, uh, we will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our heads if a hand is laid on them. So here's the picture of the spies come. They check out the land. Um, they're in danger. She hides them. She sends off the pursuers. She puts them down through a window with a scarlet cord, a scarlet rope, you could say. And the sign that these guys said that they would uh, recognize that would save their lives is have this same scarlet cord hanging out this window when we get here. And then everybody in your house, so mom, dad, brothers, sisters, everybody that's in your house with the scarlet cord hanging out the window, those guys would be saved. So in fact, chapter 6, we see that's exactly what happens. When they attack Jericho, her house alone and the people in her house are spared. Now, some theologians call the scarlet cord out of her window the scarlet thread of redemption. And there are some similarities. Like when the Israelites left Egypt on the first Passover and they sacrificed a spotless lamb and they put blood on the doorpost and over the door, that blood was there to be a symbol that the perfect lamb was slaughtered and the death angel would pass over that household and everybody in that household would be saved and if it it was a household without the blood applied that household would have death come to it and this is very similar we have in this case the scarlet cord and everybody in the household saved and if you're out of the household you'd be in trouble but there are some cool things we can learn from uh, this person that's referred to as a prostitute over and over in scripture and I think there are super important lessons of Rahab. Uh, what she did was heroic. What she did took guts to go against the city she lived in and, and provide cover for these spies. But it starts, I believe, with a recognition of her need. One of the things that makes this story so great is there was a recognition that she had a need. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, I'll read it again. It says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. She recognized that these weren't just ordinary guys. It wasn't just another day at the brothel. When these guys came into the house, she recognized that she was in trouble. In fact, they were all in trouble. She recognized an impending doom, a crisis was at hand. I don't believe we see the good part of the story 
in our lives. I don't believe we see the goodness that Rahab may see when she's included with Christ's story in Matthew 1. I don't, see we, I don't think we see the redemption that God wants to bring to our lives till we recognize the trouble we're in. I think this is where it all starts. We have to recognize when we're in trouble. Somehow Rahab figures this out. She didn't just pass it off and say, ah, oh, another couple guys came in. It'll pass. We have heard rumors of trouble before. She saw this as serious. And she said, man, if I don't act on this, bad things are going to happen. I was inspired by this because on Monday night at our gym rats group, Josh McDonald shared on this story with Rahab. And he took this angle. He says, yeah, Rahab feared God. It's good to fear God because if you're doing wrong, bad things will happen to you. Well, we always hear this slant. God just loves you. God wants to cuddle with you. Most of the worship songs that are written these days, I make fun of them because you, if you just... If you close your eyes, you can't tell if you're singing to Jesus or some harlequin romance. God just sees serpy and love and falling all over himself for you. And he would just do everything in the world to cuddle you. And Okay, don't give me a look, Cindy. Scare me. And then I hear this guy Monday nights reminding me that uh, you should have a little fear of God in your life. God's no, no one just to be trifled with. And Rahab figured this out, that she was in trouble. She was on the wrong end of the equation. And I think this is a very important lesson for us to be reminded of, that God is still God. And one day he'll judge every one of us. And how we live and what we do matters big time. Yes, he's graceful. Yes, he's forgiven. Yes, he gave his only begotten son. But all the more we should be like, thank you, God, for your provision, help me walk in your grace, not let me just be careless with it. Because I'll be judged for every idle word. I'll be judged for my behavior. One day we're going to stand before holy, righteous God. See, here's where the gospel fails to work is we don't get this first step that Rahab had, which was some level of fear. Some level of like, oh man, I'm in trouble. The gospel today comes to people this way. Add Jesus to your life and things will get better. Okay. Never the starting point of, or usually not the starting point of, you're desperately wicked. And if your sin issue isn't dealt with, you are as hopeless as anything on this planet Earth. And you should tremble every night you lay your head to bed. Because if you wake up without the grace of God, there is no hope for you. Because you've offended a holy God that created everything. And your sin's a stench. That doesn't sound appealing. But that's a message that needs to be spoken. The Bible says things like this for all have sinned. We don't focus on that very often. The wage of sin is what? It's death. Here's an illustration I've used many times. You've been with me. You've heard this before. But it's just too good not to repeat. 
If I were to say to you, or let's say, it starts this way. If you were to be walking out these doors after service, and there were a person with a big syringe saying, let me stick you with this, how many would let them stick you with that? Nobody. In fact, you might even punch them to get them away from you. You might say, off, get away. If you're a concealed kid, you might shoot them even. You're not, you're not going to let them stick you with that needle. How many say, here, here? That's right. There's nobody in their right mind would. Why would I do that? Now, context is this. If I were to come to you and say, we have been poisoned in here. There was a biological hazard released in this room, and we've all been exposed, and we will die the most horrific death in six hours if you don't have the antidote. But the good news is, there are people right outside the door with a syringe and a needle ready to give you the antidote. How many of you are like, I don't care where you stick me, just make it good. <laughs> it's changed all of a sudden. We're out there like, stick me anywhere, stick me twice. Whatever you need to do, stick me with a needle. How many say Amen. It's changed everything. What changed? The realization that you're in trouble changed. The realization that you have a desperate need changed. Once that realization crashes in on you and you realize there is hope, hope becomes really a sought-after thing. And sometimes we live in a Christianity that Jesus has been reduced to nothing more than a good luck symbol on your dashboard. An additive to your life. Something to make things a little easier. An option. As opposed to your only hope, your only chance. God's expression of love and redemption. And without Him, you're doomed. How you see this makes all the difference in the world. See, I recognize that I'm hopeless without the grace of God. Absolutely done in. Paul said it like this, I'm the chief of all sinners. Paul realized what he was without Jesus. I think it's important for us to realize, like Rahab, without Jesus, we're in trouble. Without God's help, the math doesn't work out. I recently was invited to uh, be Santa Claus by a bunch of Mormons. Now, I'm not bashing Mormons, but I am bashing them to invite me to be Santa. <laughs> I've got this good friend that came to me. He's a Mormon, and he's like, hey, Trev. And he's excited about this offer. He says, our church, our, our Santa Claus backed out, and we need one. And I thought of you, will you do it? Man, I wanted to hit that guy. I love the guy, but I wanted to hit I'm like... No, for so many reasons. And I begin to enumerate them. Don't put people in your laps in this day and age. You know, I just, stop fat shaming me. That came up and a lot of other things. Man, I said no, but you know, one of the things I, I appreciate, appreciate about my Mormon friends is they sometimes live a lot better than a lot of my Christian friends. Meaning this, like their lawns are better. Like in my neighborhood, when I drive out, because I know where all the Mormons live because they plant flags sometimes, all of them, sometimes during the year, they have certain little, the same flagpoles. How many guys figured that out yet? So I know where they all live. 
And I'm like, man, their yard's good. Their yard's a lot better than mine. And their kids look better than your kids. And <laughs> better jobs. And One of the tough things I, I, that breaks my heart about sometimes with my Mormon friends when I talk about, hey, what are you going to say one day when you get in front of God and you were to be asked, why should I let you in? Man, without fail, oftentimes the answers go like this. I was a good guy. Raised a good family, had a good job. Haven't murdered anyone. Try not to steal. Try not to drink in front of my other Mormon friends. I mean, I get all these answers, all these big answers. And it's sad because they're, they're trying to say, I'm building my own resume. I'm doing my best to to build this thing up, to make me look better than I am. And hopefully God, when I get there, will say, well, you're, you got 51%, 49 bad, 51 good, get in here. Unfortunately, some of us here kind of think that same thing. Like sometimes we're worried that, oh, am I, if I died today, would I go to heaven? Have I done enough good? Did I go to church? Did I skip crossings too many times? Did I, you know, you start thinking about what you did or didn't do. Um, but you have to recognize your debt is so big, you can't pay it off. Your sin is so offensive, it stinks to high heaven. There's no way you could pay it off, work it off. There's not enough money you could give, good things you could do, pretty children you could raise. Not enough. Only one thing would pay our sin. And it's God himself. And unless we recognize just how big our debt is, we won't be, the good news will never look as good as it should. I like this. Rahab was part of Jesus' family tree, but she was like great-great-grandma to a guy named King David. It's amazing to think about. A prostitute that came from a cursed people ends up becoming great-grandma to one of the greatest kings, or the greatest king Israel knew, has ever known, except Jesus. And David writes this, he says in Psalms 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He recognized the gravity of the sin and the position he was in. And so did his grandmother. 1 John 1, 9 says, that if we confess our sins, there, there becomes this place where we have to acknowledge our debt. And Rahab did that. The next thing Rahab does is she has faith. She had a faith. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brother and sister and all who, all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. So this request she had was a request of faith. It was just simple faith. Hebrews 11.31 of Rahab says this. It says, by faith, the prostitute, thanks, Bible writers. There's a reason, don't you think, that they keep putting this in her, her title. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So Hebrews is saying it's by faith that she was spared. It was a simple act of faith. 
that saved her. Paul put it this way, for it's by grace. Grace means unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's just simply a gift. By grace you've been saved through faith. Meaning you put, you believed the good news. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's It's by God's unmerited favor. Somehow Rahab got this. Rahab didn't quit prostituting in the moment she met the spies. Rahab still had a neon sign in her window. Flashing when she is saying, help, I believe you can help me, spare my family. She was still considered a prostitute. She was still as sinful as anybody on the planet earth. She was known all over town for her business. And yet here she is by faith saying, I believe there's one God of heaven and earth. And I'm asking you guys to spare our lives because that's who you serve. There was a belief in her somewhere, and the Bible says this. I believe that God gave her the ability. He started putting the pieces together for her to say, I'm going to believe that this God could do this for me. It's the unmerited favor of God that saved Rahab. She didn't earn it. She didn't deserve it. It's the unmerited favor of God that saves you, that saves anyone. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. God loved you when you were at your very worst Thank God. I love, I love saying this all the time. He knows everything about you and still loves you. While you were at your very worst, God loved you. Unmerited favor. Through faith, meaning you believe this. The gospel's foolishness we said last week. The story that the God that created everything and holds all things together created us to have a relationship with him. We rebelled and broke this relationship with sin. And that God himself comes down and walks amongst us, humbles himself, becomes obedient to death, takes on the form of a servant, is then spat upon and betrayed, nailed to a tree, bleeds and then dies for you and me to pay the price for our sin. And then rises on the third day. And one day we'll come back and make all things right. And that us believing the fact that of that simple story that Paul outlines is the thing that's of most importance. Us believing this simple message, something that's already happened, somehow changes our life. This faith in that fact changes things. That's just amazing. But it was by faith. Now, there seems to be a contradiction in Scripture. Hebrews says, for it's by faith you've been saved. It's by her faith that she was spared. And then Paul goes on to explain what we just said faith was. And then in James chapter 2, now here's the brother of the Lord writing about Rahab. It says, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute title again, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. 
Okay, wait a second. We just heard the writer of the previous book say, hey, it was by faith. He, the writer of Hebrews says, by faith she was spared. This guy's saying, wasn't it because of her deeds that she was considered righteous? James is trying to make a point here. The difference between belief that is not really belief and belief that is what some would call saving faith. For example, let's go back to our illustration with the guy with the needle. Okay, here we are. The needle thing's happening. The guy's back outside with his needle. You with me? And now we said, okay, before we leave, because this is church, I'm going to pray before we dismiss for our shots. And some of you are like, don't pray. Make it a short prayer because i got to go get my shot because I really believe this is happening. I've been exposed. Some of you are like, I believe too, but I'm hungry and I want chicken. I want a Popeye's chicken sandwich and I'm hungry Pray so I can leave. So I have everybody bow their heads. Lord, we just love you. We thank you that the guys from the CDC are out here to give us the shots. And we believe that you sent these guys to help us. Amen. And some of you guys are like, whoo, stick me. That's saving faith. That's belief. You believe. Others say, amen, I believe. And you run out this door to the back of the lot to get in your car to beat everybody else to the chicken sandwich. Who really believes? People out there in the line get stuck with a needle. They really believe. Everybody said they believed, but there's a difference in those two faiths. One faith I can see readily because of action. I see, wow, their behavior shows me they really believe this thing. Other people, on the other hand, their behavior shows me Eh, they may not really believe. They believe in it like they believe in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Sorry if I just dashed your hopes. But that's how they believe. It's different. They, 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 they don't believe in a way that says, this belief is so big to me that it informs my actions. See the difference? These two writers aren't contradicting each other. James is coming along and he's saying, hey, listen, here's how we know Rahab really had faith. Because she did crazy things like sent the guards down the road. She opened a window. She tied a rope. She let the spies down. She kept the rope outside the window to show them that she still believed. She took action. What would it look like if Rahab said, yeah, guys, I believe. And when the, um, I believe that you serve the God of heaven and earth and, and that you guys are going to rule everything. I, I believe that God's going to do this and that we're in trouble Help me out. Save me. Then the king says, hey, Rahab, you have these guys? Yeah, they're in the living room. Whoa. That didn't seem like she really believed that then. Yeah, I believe, but I'm not going to help you escape. That doesn't seem right either. See, saving faith is that faith that says, I believe that God loves me. And he demonstrated it and sent in his own son to die on the cross for my sins. While I was at my worst, Jesus died for me. And I believe that to the degree that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. There's an action associated with it. I believe it to the point where I will tell someone, I'm in need, I'm in trouble, but Jesus paid the price for my sin and I love and trust him and I've given him my life. That If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. There's some action involved with belief. I can, you can tell when someone 
is believing by the way they begin to talk. In fact, things start to change. After belief and this wonderful transformation comes to a life, you start seeing the fruit of the Spirit. You start seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. You start seeing these different things at work in their life. Start seeing people doing crazy things like, I'm going to forgive that person that really doesn't deserve forgiveness. Well, that's action. That's like standing in line for the shot. As opposed to a faith that treats Jesus nothing more than a good luck charm. So I have a couple questions this morning. Rahab had a title. What was yours? Before we forget where we are now or where we used to be, I think it's important that we remind ourselves, what was your title? Some of us here could say, man, I was a selfish person. I just worshiped myself. I was in it for me. Some of us could say, I was lustful, some greedy, some bitter, some hateful. It's all kinds of titles we probably formerly owned in this room. It's probably titles we still have today that we're not proud of. Let me ask you, what was your title? Or what is your title? Here's the thing. Rahab went from prostitute when she's described when God found her, when she got into God's story. But in the genealogy, she's referred to as mom. How many know mom sounds better than prostitute? Why? Because God does beautiful things in our life. He takes what we were. The Bible says he takes our, our destruction. He gives us beauty for ashes. He gives us rejoicing for mourning. He takes what was ugly in our life and he, he changes it around. He, he brings us from sinner to saint. Now we're all works in progress, but what was your title? And I think it's important to be like, God, I don't want to forget where you brought me from. Maybe some of you here today, you're right in the middle of your wrong title. And you'd say, God, I, I want to believe by faith that you've worked this in my life. And I want my actions to show that I really believe. I'm going to tell someone. I'm going to have someone pray with me. I'm going to let my family know that I need Jesus and that I'm following him. So what's your title? The next question is this. What do you believe today? What do you believe about what happens when you die? I go to a lot of funerals and I hear a lot of confusion about this. What do you believe today? What do you believe about the afterlife What do you believe about what will happen when you get there? Are you just going to be measured by how good or bad you were? Or is it, I'm here by grace. Because of what Jesus did. What you believe is going to determine how you act. If you believe that all the goodness you're ever going to get is in this life, 
You're going to live like someone that just begins to worship self and gets all you can here. If you believe that there's a God in heaven that created it all and knows you intimately and created you for a purpose and a design and has plans for you well beyond this lifetime, you're going to begin to live for his purposes and his glory. You'll begin to put other people in front of your own agenda. It'll shape your action. It'll shape everything. What you believe is really important today. Rahab believed that she had a problem, that God could help her, and then she began to act like it. This makes a huge difference for everything in our lives. Because it, it gives us room to rejoice, right? If I were to go through this room, and I know most everybody here, but if I were to go to this room and I were to say, hey man, what was your title? Many of us would give titles that were very honest. Maybe it was just one-on-one -on -one conversation. and We all know we've come from something. But when we come to the place where we believe that God's not judging me because of my former title, He's judged me because I, I put my faith in Him. And this faith that God loves me and gave Himself for me shines so brightly in my life, it's informing my actions. It's it's changing the way I do things. Now I, I, I consider God when I am going to deal with a relationship issue. I consider God in how I spend my money, how I spend my time. I consider God in everything because I believe that he owns it all. He's loved me and gave himself to me with no reservations. It, it changes the whole equation. It makes the holiday season fun. It makes it good. We're going to pray today, and I, I just want us to evaluate this morning, like, what do you believe? And how's that informing your actions today? Because what you believe about these things is just huge. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for an example like Rahab that uh, she's clearly included in this genealogy because of grace. And Lord, I think of us, we're clearly included in you because of grace. God, help us celebrate that. Help us recognize, God, that it's not what we do, it's who we believe. God, let that belief so inform our actions that those around us would see clearly that we've been impacted by you, God. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. Oh God, you're good. God, you're good and we adore you. Thank you, Father. Touch that one heart today that's just really going through it. Lord, they right now feel like they can't even lift their head. I pray, God, would you just speak to them. Let them know, of your, let them know your love for them. Let them know your care. God, we thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, hey, I've got some homework. It's a lot easier than some of the other homework we've given. A lot easier. If you read up on Moses, you read almost the book of Exodus. And some of you did it. Thank you. If you read up on Joshua, you read the book of Joshua. Some of you did it. Thank you. That's so cool. This week is easy. One of the heroines of the Bible. By the way, December is all ladies. We're preaching on all ladies in December. 
Ruth is next week. Ruth is in Jesus' genealogy too. Ruth is a rock star. Ruth is a Moabitess. God said to the Moabites, I hope they all get wiped out. But yet he takes the Moabitess and makes this Jesus' great-grandmother. Isn't that cool? That Ruth lands in the family tree of Jesus, just like Rahab. An outsider becoming an insider. It says a lot to us. So here's your homework assignment. There are a whopping four chapters in the book of Ruth. And they're not even that big. So I would love for everybody to read the book of Ruth this week. I think it's an amazing book to read. We're going to talk about a kinsman redeemer and a guy named Boaz and uh, a mother-in-law and a lady named Ruth that really gets through some hard times and sees the grace of God. Uh, So tear that up this week, write in your Bible, take notes, pray through it. And we're going to hammer on the book of Ruth next week. Uh, Just let God speak to you all this week. And uh, just make this December something more than what we usually make it. Let's make it about what Jesus is doing in our lives and in this world at this time. Can we do that? And we do that by action. Don't just say, oh, yeah, that's a nice thought. No, get Ruth out and read it. You know, meditate on it. Yeah, dig in, guys, uh, because it's in the digging that we encounter the gold. So stand with me. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you that they're here on a Thanksgiving Day weekend. I thank you for them. And I just pray, God, that uh, we would walk out of here with faith full of action, uh, ready to glorify your great name in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Crossings Church Podcast. We meet at Desert Edge High School on the northwest corner of Estrella Boulevard and Yuma Road in Goodyear, Arizona. Our service time is 10 a.m. on Sunday morning. You can find us at www.crossingschurchaz.org. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. God bless and have a great week.